Thanks for checking in with K-Voice. I'm your host, Kelly. Reasons! What a week! Cohen testified before Congress on Wednesday, and it felt like it was the start of something, or a turning point, or a turning start of something, or at least a thing. It was a thing, at least. I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in thinking that it was a thing. Meanwhile, the grandstanding Republican shouted, you lied once, you lied before, and that time you lied, and those times, and then you lied. So clearly, you cannot be trusted. But you can be trusted on the few things we choose to believe, such as Trump outright colluding with Russia, and there being no PP tape. All the other things, though, you are totally lying about. Never mind the fact that our esteemed leader chose to have you in his employ for over a decade. And never mind the fact that you are lying on behalf of him. But please, ignore the elephant in the room and our racism. I've talked to, to the president over 300 times. I've not heard one time a racist comment out of, out of his mouth in private. My nieces and nephews are people of color. Here's first what Mark Meadows said back in 2012. What we're going to do is take back our country. 2012 is the time that we're going to send Mr. Obama home to Kenya or wherever it is. We're going to do it. Anyone who knows me knows that there is not a racial bone in my body. Well, good for you. You're wrong. And the Democrats, as usual, did their Democrat thing. A little too politely, a little too ingratiatingly, they methodically drew out facts and timelines out of Cohen, all which will likely lead to many more panels and investigations. So stay tuned. While all those fireworks were going off, the Democratic-controlled House on Wednesday approved a measure requiring federal background checks for all firearm sales and transfers. It is the first major gun control legislation considered by Congress in nearly 25 years, which is a crime. Donnie Do-Nothing plans to veto the bill should a pig take flight in D.C. and the Republican-controlled Senate actually take up the bill and vote on it. As is their job. Do your job! Do your job! Do your job! Last Friday... Donald blessed us with his pick to serve as the United States Ambassador to the United Nations. Her name is Kelly Craft. She is currently embarrassing us as Ambassador to Canada and was widely ridiculed for saying this in an interview. Do you yourself believe in climate change? I believe there are scientists that are both on both sides that are accurate. You believe that there's scientists that, that science that proves that there is man is not causing climate change? Well, I think that both sides have, you know, they have their own um, results from their studies, and, and I appreciate and I respect both sides of the science. Nope. When she's not busy questioning climate change science, she is married to a billionaire coal mining magnate and donated $2 million to Trump's campaign and inauguration. So, you know, totally qualified and not corrupt at all. <laughs> morning again in America. Today, more women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. This year, dozens of children will be born to happy and healthy families. It's morning again. It's morning again. It's morning again. Wake up, America. Morning's over. 
I had the opportunity to meet the force of nature that is Margaret Atwood, the Canadian poet, novelist, literary critic, essayist, inventor, teacher, and environmental activist. She's amazing. The event was at UC Riverside's 42nd Annual Writers Week, where Margaret Atwood was the keynote speaker and was being awarded the Los Angeles Review of Books UCR Department of Creative Writing Lifetime Achievement Award. The discussion with her covered a lot of ground, everything from women's rights to climate change to writing techniques and authors to bad 1950s horror flicks such as The Crawling Eye. A force of evil that tortures its victims and hurls them mercilessly to the brink of murder and madness. And the brain that was wouldn't die. His mad ambitions and desires threaten every woman possessing an attractive body. Now, most people might know Atwood at this point as the novelist who wrote the dystopian novel The Handmaid's Tale back in 1985. Her book over the years has been made into a movie, an opera, a ballet, a very successful award-winning Netflix show. And the soon-to-be graphic novel. Pre-order yours now. It's like a superhero comic with, you know, a lot more rape. Ooh, guess I should have said spoiler alert, huh? So briefly, those who aren't familiar with A Handmaid's Tale, and, and I, I won't give anything else away that you can't read on a Netflix cover, but the story takes place in the near future where the United States has fallen under totalitarian control in a society called Gilead that resembles a theonomy. A term that originated with Thomas Aquinas. Theos means God, anonymous, law, is a hypothetical Christian form of government in which a society is ruled by divine law. Theonomists believe that divine law should be observed by modern societies, including, as if this situation wasn't scary enough, the judicial laws of the Old Testament. So being that Gilead resembles the theonomy, you won't be surprised to hear that it is an extremely patriarchal society. If you want to choose to eat, dress, love, go, think, speak, be, rest, do, sleep, with who, what, when, where you want, or if you want to drive, read, choose, anything at all, don't be a woman. Now, under all of this, against impossible odds, there is, as there is in any society ever, be it weak or strong, a resistance to that structure. Forces working with great courage to defeat the oppressor. Here is Naomi R. Mercer and... Ted Ed's Why You Should Read The Handmaid's Tale. Her words also acknowledge the possibility of resistance. And it's resistance, the actions of people who dare to break the political, intellectual, and sexual rules that drives the plot of The Handmaid's Tale. Ultimately, the novel's exploration of the consequences of complacency and how power can be wielded unfairly makes Atwood's chilling vision of a dystopian regime ever relevant. See? Told you it's a superhero story. The book, like all her books, are what she calls speculative fiction, meaning it theorizes about possible futures. The Handmaid's Tale imagines a future in which the conservative counter-movement gains the upper hand and not only demolishes the progress women had made toward equality, but makes women completely subservient to men. And for those who say that A Handmaid's Tale could never happen, she explains that, quote, One of my many rules is that I would not put any events into a book that had not already happened, nor any technology not already available. No imaginary gizmos, no imaginary laws, no imaginary atrocities. God is in the details, they say. So is the devil, unquote. The reason I made that rule is that I didn't want anybody saying you certainly have an evil imagination You made up all these bad things. I didn't make them up. See, guys? 
Handmaid's Tale has happened before. Time and time again across the centuries and around the world. It can happen again. It can happen here. It is happening here. And for those who say it could not or is not, you are not paying attention to the details. And yes, it will come from religion. Or at least those who wish to yield power will use religion as a tool. And yes, I know, the vast majority of Americans are not fundamentalist. But we would be naive to forget our American roots. As Atwood says, quote, We are often taught in schools that the Puritans came to America for religious freedom. Nonsense. They came to establish their own regime, where they could persecute people to their heart's content, just the way they themselves have been persecuted. If you think you have the word and the right of way, that's the only thing you can do. Unquote. It is anti-democratic. They did not settle for freedom of religion. They settled for freedom of their religion. Not all religions, but the majority of them since the 17th century, until like uh, five seconds ago, have sought to choke out women's authority. Reading from the Oxford Reading Encyclopedias, quote, In colonial America, Christians argued that women's weakness made them particularly susceptible to witchcraft. Tainted by Eve's sin, they were supposedly easy prey for the devil, unquote. Gee, thanks guys. And we still are that nation. A nation more so than we have been for a long time. A nation hurtling towards tyranny. And who will be the victims of this tyranny? Who will be the foil, footstools, and leverage? Minorities, yes. But it will be the women. Women and our babies. It does seem to be that every totalitarian government on the planet has always taken a very great interest in, in uh, women's reproductive rights. Atwood says, quote, The control of women and babies has been a feature of every repressive regime on the planet. Napoleon and his cannon fodder, slavery and its ever-renowned human merchandise, they both fit in here. Of those promoting enforced childbirth, it should be asked, qui bono? Who profits by it? Sometimes this sector, sometimes that. Never no one. Are we in favor of, of forced childbirth? because that's the world that we're going to get if we shut down reproductive rights. Right to life is one way of putting it. Forced childbirth it's, is another way. It is already happening. I dare Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, to watch these tapes. Watch a fully formed fetus on the table, its heart beating, its legs kicking. While someone says we have to keep it alive to harvest Just into CNN, the alleged Planned Parenthood shooter, Robert Louis Deere, just shouted in a courtroom that he's, quote, guilty, and he killed three people at a Colorado Springs clinic to, quote, protect the babies. Trump's saying today, in his words, there has to be some form of punishment. When asked for the woman, the answer, yes, there has to be some form. Never a situation for, for the health of the mother when, when aborting the baby inside the womb saves the mother's life. Impossible, has never happened, will never happen. of the United States. Under God's law, a woman should not even have dominion over her household. There are natural roles and abilities that men and women have. Together, homosexuality is not an affliction any more than pedophilia is an affliction. It is an abominable choice. Husband is the ruler of the house under God's law. Okay, here's what the Bible says, Leviticus 20:13. If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, okay, it says even both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And that, my friend, is the cure 
4.8. It was right there in the Bible all along. Let me say something about Harry Potter. There, There's no situation I mean, where killing the baby in the womb saves the mother's life. Warlocks are enemies of God. It is an abominable choice. And I don't care what kind of hero they are. They're an enemy of God. And had it been in the Old Testament, Harry Potter would have been put to death. The bottom line is this. You can make a difference. You can change the future of our nation. And you can bring God back to the center of American life. Sign up to bring this event to your home or local church. Since Reagan and the rise of the religious right, then accelerated by the crowning of the Trump regime, they have been squeezing women of the rights we have fought generations for. And it can happen in one day. In one day, we could find ourselves in Gilead. What you would do is simply reverse the steps that had led to their being out and active in the world with jobs and control of their own property and those things that they had by that time. You would roll that back, and there was already a quite quick and easy mechanism for doing that, and that was the credit card. So anything digital would allow that switch to be thrown instantaneously weeks ago, the right wingosphere lost its collective questionable mind over Kathy Tran, a Democratic member of the Virginia legislature. And while the subject is over a Virginia law, it has nationwide consequence. And it ignited the already smoldering embers of the widely inaccurate claim that Democrats were trying to legalize infanticide. It was a fierce push of propaganda that sells well to the already sold on the idea, but it serves to whip them up into a tightly wound frenzy. See, right now, Virginia law requires three doctors to confirm a diagnosis before a woman can obtain a medically necessary late-term abortion. I say medically necessary because no woman is carrying a baby for nine months only to have it painfully yanked from her body. No, no one. A little louder for the people in the back. Late-term of pregnancy also known as post-viability abortion, is incredibly rare and always traumatic and only done when one woman is in severe life-threatening physical distress and the baby is not expected to survive. And you know what? Late-term abortion, in this sense, is not an accurate term either. According to Pam Bellick, Pulitzer Prize-winning health and science writer, late-term abortion is a phrase used by anti-choice abortion opponents to refer to abortions performed after about 21 weeks of pregnancy. And it's not that the term doesn't exist in the medical world, it does. Obstetricians use quote-unquote late-term for pregnancies that extend past a woman's due date, meaning 41 to 42 weeks. And again, it's very rare. The most recent data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is from 2015 and shows that about 1.3% of abortions performed in the United States occurred in or after the 21st week of pregnancy. Abortions after 24 weeks comprise less than 1% of all abortions. So anyways, back in Virginia, Republican delegate Todd Gilbert asked Tran an outrageous, implausible question about whether her bill would allow abortion on a woman who has gone into labor. Where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, of, that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. This hypothetical is like asking a person trying to pass a law about noise ordinance. If that means that it would make it legal for a spaceship to run its engine all day. 
No woman, or physician for that matter, would do that. What, mid-birth, decide, screw this baby, take it out back and feed it to the pigs. As Amanda Maricott of Salon describes, it is, it is not just the outrageous stupidity of the question, it is that the question is a form of defamation. Todd Gilbert is saying that these women are not faced with a tragedy and in physical distress, but rather that they are lazy sluts. Maricott writes, quote, Despite the posturing about infanticide, the real target of this misogynist messaging is not actually later-term abortions, which are rare occurrences. Instead, the strategy is to perpetuate this image of women who have abortions as irresponsible sluts and thereby lay the groundwork for denying them the right to abortion at any point in the pregnancy. After all, if a woman is too dumb and childish to be trusted with her own decisions about pregnancy when the fetus has anencephaly and cannot live outside the womb, she's also too dumb to be trusted with a decision about early-term abortion performed as a matter of choice. Indeed, perhaps they should not be trusted to handle the contraception of choice for themselves either. Unquote. And Atwood makes this point, and this is something I really think we need to hound into our vocabularies. We need to use it as part of our messaging. Because we can call their movement right to life. That is one way of putting it. Forced childbirth is another. I already used it. I told one of these misogynists that he could take his forced childbirth movement and shove it. This has been raging, and the trolls have been out in force. And then our president of the United States in an address to Congress, to the nation, said this. Prohibit the late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in a mother's womb. The president of the United States stood before Congress and before the country and effectively asked the Supreme Court to make late-term abortions illegal. Let us work together to build a culture that cherishes innocent life. As it is, piece by piece, the forced birth movement has been stealing pieces of our hard-won rights over our bodies, over our very autonomy, in an increasingly rapid pace over the last decade. The threat is real. And need I say that outlawing abortion does not stop abortion it just makes those abortions more deadly. In fact, it can make abortion rates go up. A study by the Gutmatcher Institute shows that countries with the most restrictive abortion laws have the highest rates of abortion. Switzerland had the lowest abortion rate at 5 per 1,000 women. The U.S. rate is 13 per 1,000 women. And Colombia and Mexico had abortion rates at 34 per 1,000 women, which is nothing compared to Pakistan, whose estimated abortion rate was the highest at 50 per 1,000 women. And these anti-choice, anti-rights trolls have been affecting the internet with their propaganda, made-up statistics, pseudoscience, and low-brow insults, ready for serving for all those who won't buy their line of crap. The month has culminated in the theater of the absurd as Senate Republicans and conservative media alike participated in attempting to pass a bill constructed of a lie, making it very clear what the 2020 election will be about. Yes, it will be about the big badass word, socialism, but also about abortion. The rights war on women took new shape on Wednesday in our modern decade. Republican Senator Ben Sass sponsored a bill called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Now, it needed 60 votes to move forward, and it only got 
53 senators voting in support of the measure, with just 44 voting against it. Which means, contrary to conservative news headlines, it is not the Democrats who defeated the bill, it was a bipartisan defeat. But try telling them facts or to report anything accurately. The bill would have required doctors to provide the same care for a baby born alive after a failed attempt at abortion as they would for any other child of the same gestational age, and then get the newborn to a hospital. Doctors who didn't do so would face a fine and up to five years in prison. What could be more unanimous? You're wrong. It almost sounds reasonable, until you think about it for 30 seconds. As the new president to Planned Parenthood Federation of America, Dr. Lena Wynn said, quote, This legislation is based on lies and a misinformation campaign aimed at shaming women and criminalizing doctors for a practice that doesn't exist in medicine or reality, unquote. Infants surviving abortions is an extreme rarity, only occurring in instances of abnormalities so severe that the fetus has been deemed unviable. The problem we are facing is a large one. When we look at the 2020 elections and abortions in general, the problem we are facing is a large one. According to a Gallup poll from May 2018, 60% of Americans believed abortion should be generally legal in the first three months of pregnancy. However, just 13% said the procedure should be generally legal in the third trimester. Mostly because people don't understand it. The Republican misinformation campaign works, and it works well. There was an op-ed in the New York Times called I Didn't Kill My Baby. It was written by an obstetrics and gynecologist named Jen Gunter, who wrote about her own trauma. She was pregnant with triplets, and 22 weeks into her pregnancy, her water broke, and one of her triplets was not going to make it. It had less than a 1% chance of survival and would require invasive procedures. The infant wasn't viable and would die shortly after birth. Gunter named it Aiden. She writes, quote, As Aiden's parents, we had decided that invasive procedures like intravenous lines and a breathing tube in a one-pound body would be pointless medical care. And so as we planned, Aiden died. Unquote. To have done otherwise would have inflicted additional and undue pain on the parents and the infant. She continues to say, quote, I am uniquely positioned to say that this bill is medically unnecessary and nothing more than a way to warp the reality of perennial mortality, stillborn or death within the first week of life, to create confusion about abortion. Unquote. See? Even if a viable child were to be born after an abortion attempt, laws already exist to protect the baby. Make no mistake, this is a stunt the Republicans pulled in the Senate, and it would have ended up hurting people and hurting infants. It is a stunt with dark effects and dark ends. McConnell knew this bill would not pass, and he campaigned hard for it. He wanted, in part, to get Democrats on record opposing it. That way he can label the Democrats as the party of infant bludgeoners. Has a nice ring to it. So not only does this set up possible legislation in the now conservative-friendly upper and lower courts, it rallies conservatives and some non-conservatives alike against Democrats. It is evil, and it could work. To control abortions is to control a woman's body. To control a woman's body is to control her freedom. That is why men, white men, chiefly, work so hard on this issue. They don't care about infants. They want to control women and keep us down. 
Let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all. They're worried about rights. What rights are they worried about? What can they not do? I guess it's their right not to clean. I find that many feminists are too good to clean their houses, and maybe that's uh, the way they live. They live in filth. I just don't understand this. Watch a fully formed fetus on the table, its heart beating, its legs kicking, while someone says we have to keep it alive to harvest its brain. Well, as you know, my position is women should not have the right to vote. <laughs> it's very popular on college campuses. You know what sucks? What sucks almost as much as, if not more, than the men that work so hard to keep us down? It is the betrayal that women, women will work and have worked throughout history to uphold our current repressive system and even work to further subjugate our sex than we already are. In the 19th century, there was what became known as the cult of domesticity, also known as the cult of true womanhood. The cult of domesticity. The cult of domesticity. The cult of domesticity. The cult of domesticity was a tradition frequently adopted by families. This idea promoted that women were to stay at home and take care of the children while the men had to work to support them. It put women on a pedestal, considered her an angel of the house, the light and center of the family. Sounds nice, don't it? How wonderful to be so cherished and revered, right? Sure, if you're jealous of caged birds, then there you go. The specific philosophy was coined by Barbara Welter in 1966 and revolved around four mind-numbing virtues. Piety, purity, domesticity, and submissiveness. You. I'm bringing this all up because it exists, and it is a relevant philosophy in many homes. Women did, and will still cling to the cult of domesticity, whether they know it as that or not, because when a woman's power is limited outside of the home, they will find ways to maintain and preserve their power over and within their available power structures. And what's worse, very much over each other. In the cult of domesticity, one's possessions become trophies, and the wealth and success of a man means the woman attached to it has a greater amount of power, if not perceived amount of power, over other women. Women of less means. People of less means, really. So a threat to this power by conflicting ideologies, say ones that were to advocate burning a bra or two, or say one that says, I don't know, think for yourself, those ideologies are seen as a threat. And those living with those freedoms that accompany those ideologies must be forced into submission. And ideologies are not. This just about goes to the entirety of women of color. See, these kind of power structures were not, and still are not, readily available to those who are not white, affluent women. Minorities and those of less means are excluded from the definition of a true woman. Black, working class, and immigrant women were often left out because of social prejudice providing some extra freedoms while clipping others. Or at least, that's what the smarty pants at Oxford have to say about it. Before I go, Atwood made one last important point. We need redemption. All of us. As a people. We do. Humanity needs to be redeemed. But it is not a god we owe a debt. It is to nature. As she says, 
The balance of the earth is overdrawn. What is the greatest threat? The greatest threat is um, ocean death. Because should the oceans die, the marine algae that made our oxygen atmosphere 1.9 billion years ago, before which iron didn't rust because it was methane, uh, if those organisms die, 60 to 80 percent of the oxygen that we breathe dies with them. So we'll still be wheezing, but for how long? So fix that one, and then you at least have a groundwork for fixing the other things. It's a multiple problem. Okay, guys. That's my time. Thank you for sticking with me and this episode of K-Voice. You can stream or download the show at crabdabby.com under the K-Voice tab, or on your favorite podcasting app. Follow me on Facebook at K-Voice of Resistance, and on Twitter at Kelly the Voice. Also, make sure to check out the Crab Diving Podcast with hosts Patrick Bile and comedian Ryan Pfeiffer. Two hours a day, Monday through Friday, if you want a rundown of the headlines as well as all the news you might be missing out on. All right. Take care of yourselves out there. And as always, resist. Democrats rule. Republicans drool. Bye!